Hello, everybody. It's Pastor Adam, and uh, I got an encouraging topic today, and we're going to discuss what the Word of God says about worry. And so I titled this today, Cast That Care. Get rid of that care, those worries, those concerns, that anxiousness, and let's go to the Lord in prayer as before we get into this. Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you that we will discuss this topic that so many, if not all of us, have a challenge with, and we thank you for your patience and and your love and your peace and your grace and your mercy um, and your faithfulness to continue to believe in us, those that have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So we ask for your patience again as we dialogue and discuss your word. We pray that it gets into our bone and marrow, gets deep inside us, that we will have conviction more than we had when we started the day. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So, you know, I already said this is a topic, worry, that is, you know, in my opinion, been too long been tolerated within the Christian community. I, I know many of us could spend all day worrying and being anxious, but... <coughs> And we, we, we do that by just trying not to worry and be anxious, you know, it's kind of conundrum there. And I'm not trying to be negative today. I'm just trying to explain what reality is for most of us. So many times, if we don't deal with reality, we can't fix what is broken. We don't tend to acknowledge what is broken. You know, my mom, my mom would always say, I can't, she'd say, I can't help it. I'm just a worrier, you know, and, and. My mom and so many like her actually believed they weren't a good parent unless they were constantly worrying about their children. Well, <clears throat> we have no idea what is going to come our way today. We, we don't know what's around the corner. But what we certainly should know, if you're a Christian, is that God is with us. So I'm here today to remind us that we don't have to live in fear because God is with us and he is on our side. <coughs> I think, well, I know, I know this. If each of us had a chance to share, I am confident we each would reveal something that happened to us when we were young, you know, maybe a child, maybe a teenager, that, that, that then has kept us in this fear kind of mode of our daily living and approaching things. You know, the Bible talks about that in the book of Proverbs. Here's what Proverbs chapter 15, verse 15 says, and I read from the amplified version of the Bible. All the days of the desponding and afflicted are made evil by anxious thoughts and forebodings. But he who has a glad heart has a continual feast, regardless of circumstances. Amen. That's, that's scripture there. That worldview, if you will. This theme throughout the Bible refers to the evil forebodings where we just believe things are always bad and are just waiting for the next disaster. That's where a lot of people just, that's how they approach life. And it's right at the precipice of that point. It's a tipping point, if you will. At that very moment is when we need to renew our mind and expect Something good will happen on purpose instead. And see, that in itself is a big 
conundrum of what define what good is. Well, according to the Bible, good is the will of God. It might not be good in our eyes. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's really the rub. See, <clears throat> God gave us a free will. So you and I can choose our thoughts. We get to choose to cast our wrong thinking out. And don't you know that worry actually begins with a thought? Faith starts in our hearts and is released through us by thinking and speaking and acting right ways, speaking right things. Now, when we encounter an opportunity, sometimes we'll call those opportunities problems, but I'm trying to get us, I think because the word of God is trying to get us to understand events that go on in our day are opportunities. So when we encounter an opportunity, we seem to choose to follow the Satan's plan, which is to worry and be anxious and then we also tend to try to figure things out. That's, that's really the enemy's trifecta. It's the big three right there, worry, anxiety, and reasoning. There are three major torments in our lives. Candace and I wrote a book about that. We teach about this all the time, calling there are three things that everybody has to deal with. It's provision, protection, and acceptance. And it's, this is part of what goes on after you become a Christian. Did you hear that? After you submit your life to the Lord, admit Jesus is Lord of your life, repent of the way you've been living and say you're going to follow Jesus, your soul, which composes your mind, will, and emotions, is, it needs to transform into what your new spirit that Jesus gave to us, okay? That's the challenge. And so the devil, the, the demonic, throws worry, anxiety, and reasoning into our like plate of options. And we tend to choose those over living by faith. Because see, on the flip side of that, like I was saying, is he, God wants us to choose to trust God and think trusting, loving thoughts and promises of God. That will be exercising our faith. But make no mistake about it. Worry enters our life through our thoughts. And the Bible tells us to cast all our worry, all our care on God. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, the Amplified Version says, casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all, on God. Jesus, for he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. This word cast means to pitch, to fling, or to throw. Now that kind of sounds like to me that maybe we need to involve some activity and maybe even get a little aggressive, or if you will allow me to say this, violent with our worries and anxieties. What I'm getting at, what I mean, is many of us have probably been putting up with some nonsense from the enemy, and we need to give this more attention and be more aggressive than how we've been dealing with this in the past. I am simply suggesting we take another perspective. I mean, because here's the bottom line. What do you have to lose? I mean, come on, right? Okay, so in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, Jesus is speaking, And he says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. It sounds to me like Jesus is giving us permission to be violent in a proper way, right? So for us in this subject, 
right? Talking about worry. That's going to mean that we not put up with worry, anxiety, fear, and any mental torment any longer. Those are things from the enemy. And I'm not going to let the Satan steal what Jesus died and resurrected to give me. I bet you you all agree with that, all right? Amen. And listen, if you don't do that, if you're not going to approach it this way, then the Satan will continue to steal from you. And folks, it doesn't matter what I believe, but whether you believe it or not. It doesn't matter what the Bible says until you believe it and do what the Bible says. Just knowing what the Bible says is great, but that's not going to That's not going to fix your issues. You have to act on those, meaning you can't be passive. It's time you started participating in this thing called life. Get off the sidelines and stop cheering for your friends only. It's time you engage and live the life Jesus died for you to have. The people watching or that passive type of person always want something good to happen, and they're really just content with waiting to see if it doesn't happen. And then they validate themselves by saying, see, I told you it didn't happen. They are the type with a lot of wishbones, but no backbone. I'm just being honest there. And they don't do much except to, to, to say somebody else needs to solve the problem. That's not my issue. Like, just think about things going on in the world today where there's so many wrong things. And each of us, we're talking about other things, but we have things that we can do in our little sphere of influence in the way we conduct ourselves and the way we act and respond to things. Didn't do a very good job as a, as a global community over the last three years. The enemy has taken a lot of territory over the last three years. Because we surrendered it to it and we just sat on the sidelines and followed what people were telling us to do. Oh, you got to wear a mask. Oh, you got to take a jab. Oh, you got to lock down. Oh, you, I mean, can you believe the insanity? People still driving around in their, home, in their cars with masks on. Now, there's very few people that actually need to do that. The only people that actually need to do that that would have done that before 2020 were those that usually are having some kind of illness and a cancer treatment because their own immune system is extremely weakened by usually the cancer treatments they're getting. And so those are the few. I'm talking about a minuscule amount. Few people, probably not even 100,000 people uh, in America, for instance. That's it that would need to wear a mask. Yet to this day, I still see people out there going to the grocery store, walking around. Because of what happened three years ago, they actually trusted this group of scientists who are making a lot of money off this and could care less about your overall health. And they're following it hook, line, and sinker. I'm not, I'm not going to apologize for saying that. It needs to be said more and more. It needs to be said from the pulpit. I did say it from the pulpit when we had our church. And I'm continuing to say it when I get this podcast. And so one of the things I, I say to us when things like this happen is we got to ask ourselves on all these issues, like, well, so what and what now? Those two questions. Well, so what? what about, so what about that and what now? And I want to say something about faith because we need to continue to renew our minds as to what faith is. You know, for instance, you know, we say this a lot in Christianese, right? Amen. We say it all the time, right? Well, what does that word actually mean? Does it mean so be it? Does it mean it be so? Well, amen is a Hebrew word and it's the root of the Hebrew word 
emonah. And that word emonah means faith, faithful, tr- truth, trustworthiness, steady, stability, and verily. So in other words, when we say amen, we are really saying, I have faith in what I just said amen to. I believe in what was just said. So let's, let's just continue down that hole a little. Let's bore down that hole a little deeper. These words, amen and emonah, also share the exact same root word that the word emonim does. And emonim means practice. It means action. So what we need to understand when reading God's word is that faith is action. It is interwoven within the language that to have faith is to act on that faith or whatever you just said amen to. In other words, if you really believe, then your faith would express yourself in action congruent to what you believe. Okay, so for instance, faith is picking up a few stones and slinging them at a giant. Faith is coming to a desert community and knowing that it will blossom. Which leads me to a question. How will you use this day? How will you use this opportunity to bring your faith into action? Remember what I just said a little bit ago, the couple of questions? So what and what now? You know, for myself, one of the things I enjoy doing and I've I've been doing this since college, really, actually right after I got out of college, is I enjoy reading. And when I read spiritual warfare situations, those kinds of things, it reminds me how aggressive I need to be when dealing with the enemy. I think of two books I read years ago about dealing with rebellion. One was about the spirit of Jezebel, or this, you know, and, and the other was about the spirit of Ahab, or you, know, you could call it the Korah spirit, any type of a spirit against authority. And my point is, we just can't settle for hoping that Satan will leave us alone. The enemy's gonna leave us alone. He hates us. He despises us. He doesn't like anything about our walk, anything about our relationship with God, and he doesn't want us making any progress. He's extremely jealous and envious, okay? He doesn't want us to have anything that God said. He doesn't want you to understand the transformation process, and he certainly doesn't want you maturing in Jesus Christ. He can't stop you from submitting your life to Jesus, but he can sure deter you from maturing. He wants to keep you a baby because babies won't have an impact. Babies are easy to, easily, easy to influence and direct. See, once you become a Christian, the enemy's goal is to make you a miserable Christian so those who haven't become Christians will not be enticed by you to become a Christian and he wants you to share wrong theology so that even confuses the non-believer more. Mm. Now, an observation I've made is this worry and anxious state always can see the problem. But you know what else I see? Is it these people rarely and sadly ever see God. There's nothing wrong with looking at our problems square in the face. But when you do that, make sure you tell the problem where it stands in relationship to God. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, folks, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. See, faith 
sees God who has taken care of all the problems already. Romans 4.18, look at what the Bible says here. Romans 4.18, the Amplified Versions read, for Abraham, human reason for hope being gone, hoped in faith that he should become the father of many nations as he had been promised. So numberless shall your descendants be. I mean, and don't forget the reality that comes with this individual, Abraham. Because remember, Abraham and his wife were both old. (laughs) I mean, let's read on. Romans 4, verse 19. He had not weakened in faith when he considered the utter impotence of his own body, which was as good as dead because he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's dead and womb. She was 10 years younger. She was 90. Abraham, Sarah says, Abraham didn't weaken in faith even when he looked at his own body or Sarah's body. And then Romans 4.20 continues, no unbelief or distrust made him waver doubtingly questioned concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong and was empowered by faith as he gave praise and glory to God. I mean, that's just a perfect illustration of what we have been talking about because Abraham had a huge hurdle, an impossible situation, yet he saw beyond the problem. And he didn't worry about the problem, but rather he hung on the promises that God said, you're gonna be the father of many nations. That's the formula we have to use regardless of what situation we are in right now. Be that in, you know, your marriage, if you're married, or relationship, or your children, or your finances, or, you know, you think what happened in the past is too great a thing to recover from, or maybe you've got some kind of addiction, or just some kind of sin that you just can't seem to stop. Folks, whatever it is you have, You have to know right now that God is greater than that. And when you pray, don't worry again because then worry just nullified your prayer. Here, try this. Instead of worrying about it, try praying about it. Fill up all that worry time with prayer time and you don't mix them together. (laughs) Please understand that concept. See, when we pray, We are saying with our mouth that we believe God. But if we worry, then we are saying with our actions that we really don't believe that God can come through. And then what we so often do is we worry about getting a backup plan when God doesn't come through. And then we blame God. (laughs) It doesn't work. See, Faith sees God using its heart, and the Bible tells us that faith is impossible to, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And those that come to God must believe that he is. That's Hebrews 11, verse six. Don't make this mistake when reading that. And then what I mean is we must believe that God is. Many of us believe God is somewhere out there, but don't really believe that God is right here, right now. I literally mean when you leave a worship service or, you know, leave a church gathering or a church building or a prayer gathering, a prayer meeting, God is actually leaving with you. He even gets in the car with you when you start complaining about what happened at the church service, right? He gets out the car with you when you reach your next destination, okay? He doesn't leave us, but God is the great I am. 
I mean, if we would just take some time and ruminate and focus on that. I mean, gosh, you know, God is here. If we would just say that, and I guarantee you, you do that, you're gonna see a change for better in your life. You're not alone, folks. See, if you remind yourself of that, then you will st- probably stop doing some of the wrong things you've, you've had a hard time stopping doing because God's there. <laughs> Remember that throughout the Bible, we are instructed to fear not. Why do you think that is? Because God's with us. We don't have to know that what God's doing. We don't have to know when God is going to do it. All we have to know is that he is. Listen, God is working in our lives right now in ways that we can't feel, we can't see, we don't understand. And just because whatever is going on in our lives right now doesn't feel good, that doesn't mean God isn't working. I mean, let me remind you of what Scripture tells us in Exodus chapter 3, verses 9 through 15. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Okay, hallelujah. That's that conversation God had with Moses. So did you notice that God worked through a man to help the Israelites? Meaning, folks, that when we pray for help, God has somebody in mind that he wants to work through to bring help for us. The Lord doesn't work apart from man. He works with man. We are in covenant with God. We are partners with God. The sign that God has sent us is is when he is with us, right? Some of us are in a very difficult situation. In the midst of that, some of us have joy and peace and only God can give us that. Just because you have a problem doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. The great I am is right here right now. Just ponder all the places God has had to follow you into before you finally woke up. And some of us, sadly, still haven't woken up, but God is still waiting. And if you don't wake up, the Satan will try and steal your day from you. Many of us have wonderful testimonies of what God has done for us. We've been in some places where people just say, no way right? After hearing what you used to do and where you used to hang out and how you used to conduct your life, right? People are like, man, that's, it's, it's, it's like a miracle, right? So don't forget that God is no respecter of persons, right? Acts chapter 10, verse 34 talks about that. Romans chapter 2, verse 11. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. Second Chronicles 19, verse 7. And his promises are not from somebody else. They're for you. God loves you. He has a great plan for you. So say all that so that you can learn to stand up to the enemy. Tell him to shut up because all he tells you is lies. Fight the good fight of faith. 
I am suggesting, again, to get a little more violent in the right way because many of us have been violent in the wrong way. I'm, I like trying to encourage you to bring on some holy violence against the enemy and say no, say no, no. And don't question every single thing because it doesn't make sense right now. God is in control and we'll turn it into something good. Look at this exchange. Let me give us this to encourage us between Jesus and his disciples. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. In the, and in the fourth watch between three and 6 a.m. of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they screamed out with fright. But instantly, Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, I am. Stop being afraid. Now, this is so direct. Amen. You know, that, this is, to me, this just is so direct from Jesus. And very few words were spoken, right? He says, take courage, I am. Stop being afraid. But there's so much that's being said in that little exchange from Jesus. That little phrase, I am. Now, that doesn't make much sense in some parts of the world. But for believers of Jesus Christ, it certainly should. He's here right now in that case, right? And he is taking care of their situation right now. You don't have to worry. I mean, here's, here's how it plays out. God will either remove the problem, which is usually our first choice, right? And usually only the, the, the only choice we can be remotely satisfied with, or God will give you the strength, give you the grace, give you the ability to go through the problem, right? Because my grace is sufficient, as he told Paul, right? And when we are given that choice, you know what happens? Here's the blunt truth. We usually try to go around the problem instead of through the problem. Because we don't like going through the problem. That we don't like that part. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and yet was tempted. The strongest force of temptation often comes upon us when we are closest to the Lord. When we have the fullness of the Spirit of God, we will experience great conflicts with the Satan who tempts us. Why? Because you're the greatest threat to him because you haven't been controlled by his lies and manipulation. That's why. This is one of the greatest things I see with new Christians. They go, I thought everything was gonna be great. They have this euphoric feeling. Oh my gosh, I'm, this is so great. People are loving me. People are accepting me for all the crap I did. And now, and all of a sudden, things don't go very well. It's because you're starting to mature and grow and guess who's gonna attack you? Because you're now posing more of a threat. If you don't do anything, if you're just gonna sit there and not participate in life, you're not really a threat to the enemy. And, and this is another part that people don't want to accept. God allows temptations because it does for us what storms do for oak trees. Read the book of Job again if you don't understand it. It roots us deeper and gives us long-lasting endurance. You don't want to be a tree with its roots very shallow because every time a storm comes, what happens? It's uprooted and turn, falls over. But if you've got deep roots, when the storm comes, you're going to hold your ground. <clears throat> Folks, we will never fully realize the level of strength of our grasp on Jesus or Jesus's grasp on you until, here's the deal, until the enemy uses all his force to attract you to himself. It is then that we feel the tug of Jesus Christ's right hand. I mean, extraordinary afflictions are not always the punishment of extraordinary sins, but sometimes the trials resulting from God's extraordinary gifts. 
When you've had some experiences in life and been around a while, you see that God uses many sharp cutting instruments and polishes his jewels with files that are rough and coarse. And those saints he loves and desires to make shine the most brilliantly will often feel his tools upon them. <coughs> Excuse me. Sometimes I wonder if I've learned anything. I mean, I'm talking the truth about myself. It's like I tend to see best when my classroom is darkest. And until you come to that place of faith in your walk with God, where you can have either or and be satisfied either way, you're going to have a rough ride. What I mean is that the only way for you to be happy is if God just removes every single thing that bothers you, irritates you, or is hard for you, then the folks, listen to me now, because you're going to be fighting all your life. Got to get to the spot where we trust God enough to let him make the choice of either removing the issue or giving you the strength to go through the issue. Because if he chooses for us to go through an issue, then he has a purpose for us to be going through it. There's something that we will get out of this problem, out of that issue that we need for what God has planned for us down the road. Gosh, I pray you heard that. And I mean, I mean that really, really passionately. I pray you heard that. I know we don't like to hear that. And there are some that are thinking right now, if you are trying to tell me, Adam, that when I'm going through right now is something that will work out for my good, buddy, you can shove it. Well, not to be offensive or direct, then, but then just go ahead and be miserable. Because if you don't trust God, you will be miserable. And that is the only choice you have if you don't trust God. Folks, if God would show us all the choices we have made and replayed for us those choices and pointed them out to us, <laughs> oh yeah, like right there, Adam, you chose that, but that is against my guidance, but you did it anyway. Then that led to this choice, Adam, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And now you're in a mess and you're asking me, why did this happen to you? I mean, do you hear what I said? Come on, right? Trusting God is where it's at, folks. Trusting God is wonderful and where peace resides. It's like saying, hey, I don't understand this, but I know God will work it out. I don't understand this. It hurts so bad, but I think I, right? I don't think I can stand this much longer, but I believe that God has worked it out. <clears throat> and I know there's gonna be people that are gonna mock you for that kind of statement. If that's what you're going around, they're gonna go, man, you need to do this, this, and this. I know many of us have been through this. But if you're in a difficult situation, you know that God, you've got to know that God's with you. And then in the midst of that difficulty, I want to encourage you because what's going on is you're growing, you're maturing spiritually. Just like, you know, as a kid, we grow up. That hurts. It hurts. It's awkward. Remember the phases of going from, you know, a child to a teenager? (laughs) Growth hurts. But when you're in that situation and believe in God and say, God, I trust you, man, It's like all the frustration and worry just goes away. And by trusting God, guess what happens? All of a sudden, we enjoy all these moments. We don't have to wait until everything goes our way. But we can enjoy every single moment, even while we're waiting. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you all. Until the next time.